This is the Mosaic Church Podcast. Mosaic Church is committed to making disciples that discover Christ, connect in Christian community, and serve others and the world. Hey guys, we have a special guest this morning. He's a good friend of mine. When I first met him, I thought he was joking because I met him at a youth camp. And I thought he just came into character at youth camp, and I thought he, I thought he had a decent, okay, decent Australian accent. And for about three years, I would only really see him at camp, and I thought, man, he's getting better with his accent. And it wasn't until later on I saw him outside of youth camp that I realized, oh, wait, he's Australian. And so uh, it's, it's not an act. Uh, he does it so well. And so um, I've, we've gotten to know each other. I tell you, Brooke came to our Chi Alpha gathering in 2011, and she shared. I tell you what, I became a massive big friend of Brooke, his wife, um, from that day. And I've, you know, follow them from afar, watch what they do. And God has really blessed them and anointed them. They're going through uh, some new changes in their life. From, I don't know if they'll share that with you. Uh, but Brooke, next time uh, I'm putting you on the spot, uh, we'll swap roles, all right? And uh, she's a phenomenal communicator of the gospel, and we would just love to have her come back sometime. And uh, I'm sorry if it's too cold, too hot. It's that day where we turned on the heat this morning, and then we had to turn on the air conditioning. So I don't even know what to, it's probably They're probably both on. Um, anyway, so uh, I gave Ben a tough task. As you know, we've been talking about questions the church needs to respond to and answer. And we talked about the authenticity of the Bible. We talked about what is, uh, you know, why does a good God allow suffering? Uh, we talked about marriage and what does it mean uh, to have a Christian marriage, a biblical uh, marriage. And so today we're going to talk about hell. And so I've asked uh, Ben to come on up and come on up. Let's give him a nice warm welcome. Doing this one. We forgot to do the. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> so then I wondered to myself if I got up here and spoke in an American accent, whether I'd fool everybody. But I am actually, that was an American accent, what I was just doing. So that was the, it was a live joke. I was doing it as we spoke. I hope nobody minds if I have my, uh, my computer open. Um, I find it easier to follow my slides from my computer. So it is such a privilege to be here today. And I, it, it, this is one of those topics that's like, I, I wonder how long I can keep my intro going for so I don't have to start talking about hell because this is heavy, right? Anybody else? It's like, am I even allowed to use humour? Like, I don't... <laughs> I don't know, like, these are actual questions uh, that I have as I do this. So let's pray and invite the Lord in uh, to, this, to, to this study, this conversation. Lord, you're good um, and all you do is good. And so we, we wait on you. Uh, we trust in your word and we hope in, in, in all the gifts that you've given us that you have a good end for us. And so, Lord, would you illuminate your word? Would you speak by your spirit? Uh, even use me uh, now as we, we open your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 
I don't know if you've ever watched a movie that starts with the end. Has anyone ever watched a movie? Maybe you can think of one right now. I started thinking of the movies that I've seen that started with the end, and I'm like, are you even allowed to talk about that movie in church? I don't know. Um, it was, I, I don't know if you've got like a younger version of yourself that was more foolish and liberal with TV, and you've like repented since those days. So I do have those days in my past. And, and so there are movies that start with the end. And the opening scene is, is so bewildering and like, no, that you think that the movie will end differently. Yeah? But then you get to the end and actually no, nothing makes more sense than the beginning. That first scene that you never would have imagined was true. But as they go back through the plot and walk, walk to the end, you're like, it's gonna happen. The beginning's gonna be the end. Just like they said. And, and for the majority of the movies I've seen, that's exactly what happens. And so we crack the Bible. And one of the first scenes we have is a prophetic voice coming from God Himself. Um, that after Adam and Eve sinned, he looks at the serpent and he says, um, the seed of the man will crush your head and you will strike his heel. We've got this, we've, so we've got this vision of the utter devastation of the devil and this infection, this poison injection that is the fatality of humanity, Right? So that is, the origin, that is the first kind of developed high conflict in, in Scripture. And then when you go to the end of the Bible, literally the, the very end of Revelation, chapter 20, um, we find the consummation of this scene. So let's, let's open there, if you will, and we'll, we'll pick it up from, from that spot. So I don't know if you've got Bibles with you. Revelation uh, chapter 20. I'm gonna read a little bit here, but this is, this is the end, right? This is the end. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, this is verse one, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those who had authority to judge, uh, those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received the mark on their foreheads or their hands and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and Christ and they will reign with Him for a thousand years. Then when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison. He will come out to deceive the nations at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. 
and their number is like the sand of the sea and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and their beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away. There was no place found for them. Then I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged. Each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. We'll end our reading there. So the question we're left with, and it's maybe one that you've, you've asked before, is would a God of love cast people into hell? Right? That's the question that we're left with at the end of it. So we, we've, we've asked many questions to this point in this series, I understand. Um, but this is a jarring reality when you read the Bible. In fact, I would, I, I would say that um, we don't necessarily like it. Right? When we read this, it's, it's not our favourite. Um, so when we talk about hell... It's something that is prefigured through the whole of Scripture. There is nothing more clear in the Bible than what I just read about the reality of hell. Like that is like the most clear representation of hell in the whole Bible. Um, in many ways, you, you, see, um, you see judgment coming all the way through Scripture. You see different ways of describing it all the way through the Bible. But here, uh, this is it. We see judgment coming, but this, this is the one that we see most clearly. <laughs> but we don't like it. In fact, I don't think there's anything more opposed in the whole of the Bible than hell. I don't think there is a more abrasive doctrine in the whole of Christianity than the doctrine of hell. I think that more people have been upset with God over this doctrine than any other doctrine in the whole Bible. And that's why we're talking about it. We're not talking about it because it's a topic that we want to cover, right? We're talking about this because this is a topic that we've got to come face to face with if we believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Okay, so for that reason, we're gonna jump into it. So I was reading Francis Chan. You might be familiar with him. He said... Uh, in an interview that he would prefer that, that hell was not real. That is actually his preference. Uh, maybe that makes you feel better about yourself and the thoughts that you've had regarding hell. Um, he, he goes on to say that he would never have imagined or created hell. That's why, I mean, this is a conservative, like Bible teaching pastor, kind of well-respected all over the church. Uh, maybe you've had days in your life we're gonna come around and, and talk about this, that you really appreciate justice. Has anyone got a time in their life where they appreciated justice? Or maybe you desired justice and got none of it. 
Um, maybe in elementary school where you were not yet good at communicating your desire for justice. So I can remember getting in a little bit of a tiff with Sean um, and uh, he was definitely in the wrong, I can remember. And, uh, and I grabbed him in what was the Vulcan neck pincher. Uh, I had two older brothers. Um, and uh, where I grabbed him by the back of the neck and, and threw him to the ground. Like, that was the move that my brothers had used on me many times before. Um, and that was when I got stung by the teacher. And, uh, and so the teacher looks at me, Mrs. Carter. She was not nice. I'm just going to let you know that right now. She's like, Ben, did you pinch Sean on the back of the neck? No. Are you sure you didn't pinch Sean on the back of the neck? Yeah, I did not do that. Well, what happened? I gave him a Vulcan neck pincher. <laughs> to which I spent the rest of the day in the principal's office. Completely unjustly dealt with. Um, me, my wife knows me and my literal self um, unable to just yield to the authority that would be. Um, but, but so here is the struggle that we live in. We, we desire justice. Like talk to anyone that's in, in, been involved in injustice. And it's something that's, that's raw on the inside. It's a basic need of humanity, justice. But we revolt. When you're the one affected by sin, you want it. Right? When you're the one affected by sin. But the moment that you're the one that, that you've got that harboring in your heart, you've got that, that guilty uh, hidden spot, all of a sudden, mercy starts to triumph over justice in your mind. Yes. Right? And all of a sudden, a, 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 greater, like, a greater than justice is, is needed on the inside of you. So the question of hell is not a, one, a not topic that's distant from me. From my earliest days, I can remember having deep questions about the realities of God, heaven, hell, sin, and all of that. When I was 17, I went to my dad and I was like, Dad, I don't understand. Why would we be punished eternally for something that I did in a limited amount of time? It seems, seems like a over overreaction. So I, I sin for, for 80 years, like kind of max-ish. I guess some people go longer than that, but, but I, I sin for 80 years and then I get punished for eternity. Is, isn't that overkill? Isn't that unjust? My dad said, give me a day. <laughs> let, me, let me think about that. Let me, let me pray about that. I love my dad, right? So uh, of course, of course. And I wasn't, I wasn't trying to sting him with that question. I was coming to my father that I loved with a genuine concern that was, that was existing in my heart. Um, and he came back to me, right, next day. And he prayed. <laughs> I, think, I think he struggled that night to sleep because he loved his son, right? And the question I was asking was, was real. And, and this is what he said to me, Ben, the eternal problem is sin. And for an eternal problem, you need an eternal solution. And I think about that and actually his, his response comes to me um, and it still actually gives me solace today, right? So that, that is, that is a, an old answer now, but it's one that is stuck in my heart and that has actually fed me for many days since then. But So let's, let's kind of do a sharp right turn, go 90 degrees and ask, well, what is hell? 
Okay, so let's kind of dive into Scripture for just a little bit and ask the question, what is hell? Um, And so this will help us come to terms a little bit with what we mean by eternal punishment. So firstly, hell is described as a place. Okay, so firstly, like when we look at Scripture and it gets kind of three names in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it's Sheol, right? Sheol. And Sheol is basically the place of the dead. It is the Greek equivalent of Hades. Okay, so death itself could be described as Sheol or Hades. Okay, so they're almost interchangeable in, in kind of a literary sense that you could say, um, oh, he's, he's gone to the grave. Like he's gone, he's died. Like that, that, that he's gone to Sheol. He's gone to Hades. Like it is, it's just the place of the dead. It's not speaking in any way about what that might be like. It's just the place of the dead. Everyone goes to Sheol. Everyone goes to Hades. Okay, so that, that's firstly what we find in almost the entire Old Testament. Okay, that's the, the picture that we have. Um, and then in the book of Peter, we've got uh, the, the Roman equivalent. So we hear, hear about Tartarus. Okay, so Tartarus is, uh, is the word that Peter uses one time in the book of 2 Peter when he's describing the judgment. And so pretty much with Tartarus, you've got a right-hand turn and a left-hand turn. Right-hand turn, you're, um, you're gonna go to Elysium, which is heaven, heaven. And the left-hand turn, uh, you're gonna go to Tartarus or hell. Okay, so that's the, the Roman idea of hell. And so Peter uses that imagery in his book. But for the rest of um, the Bible, uh, we start to see this development of a place of judgment, Gehenna. Okay, so Gehenna comes from the Hebrew uh, of the Valley of Hinnom. Okay, Gehenna is the Valley of Hinnom, which is the place where in the Old Testament, um, the, the children were sacrificed to gods. Okay, so in Ezekiel, we find, uh, we find Israel coming under judgment, Judah coming under judgment. And so they, he starts talking about the valley of death, the valley of weeping, the valley of destruction, the valley of Hinnom. Okay, so it's this idea of great judgment because of the sins that were committed within Judah and within Israel that, that their end was gonna be like that, the valley of Hinnom. And so it almost became a place that was, that was uh, likened with curse. And so we find Gehenna, described in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and James. And then in, uh, finally in the book of Revelation, we start to read about the lake of fire, which is al- it's almost an equivalent. So, so we're gonna we equate it with Gehenna. Uh, for the most part, nearly every scholar, they're, they're like, yeah, it's, it's the same. So Gehenna, lake of fire, same thing. Uh, for the majority of scholars, when you read through the literature. And so those are the three places that we find in the Bible that describe uh, hell when when we're looking at it. So we've got three different words uh, that describe kind of this one idea that we have in our mind. Also, hell's not just described as a place, it's also described in terms of separation and judgment. Okay, so in one way, it's the place just as the graveyard is a place, uh, Sheol, Hades, and, um, and Gehenna uh, describes the place. But now we see them in terms of separation. Jesus talks a lot about the outer darkness. 
where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, right? So that is so out of darkness. It's a, it's a cast out. You're cast out. You're separated from the blessings of God, right? You also hear about it in terms of judgment from God. Okay, so we've got the parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25, where the, the sheep are brought into eternal life and, and the goats are condemned for, for the lives that they lived. And again, so we, we see this separation from the presence of God. Um, we, we separation, we, we, the righteous from the unrighteous, the faithful from the faithless. Again, there is this separation that you do not belong here anymore. Um, and uh, that there is this being cast out. And then finally, the, the, it is the place of, of death. So, so seeing uh, hell in terms of these two things, uh, it is both a place and a separation from God. Okay, so in Scripture now, we have these two kind of uh, parallel images when we're talking about um, hell. Uh, so it is actually a place of judgment. It's not just symbolic, right? When you read Scripture, some people take it as symbolic, and I respect that. I, like, like somebody came to me recently and they were up in arms about somebody preaching in hell um, as the eternal, how did he describe it? The eternal missed, uh, missed chance. And he was like, can you believe he described hell as the eternal missed chance? And I'm like, well, yeah, I can. Like, like, I, can I can believe that. If you've, ever, if you've ever stood in front of people and tried to talk about hell, you will understand why people want to downgrade it. You'll understand why people want to kind of gloss over it. You'll understand why people want to figure out, is there any other way of me reading this Scripture? Because this is heavy. I'm like, and so, you know what? Chill out a little bit. That was actually my response to him. I'm like, if somebody struggles with this, God has made us with heavy conscience. I, I, I don't know if you guys do Enneagrams. I'm a nine on the Enneagram. So I'm like, can we all just get along? So like, so that's like in me. Like, and so listen, I actually understand why people struggle to call this a place. Okay, so you've got scholars. I think it was John Stott, who is, is a renowned Reformed scholar. He says, you can't get to the end of the Bible and rule out um, annihilationism. That was John Stott. Like, I'm like, he's like a renowned scholar. But when, when you look at Scripture, I don't think it's what Scripture's saying. I actually think we're talking about a place, an actual place. Now, there is a lot of grey area, okay? In the same way that when you look at heaven in Scripture, there's a lot of grey area, right? There are some people when they talk about heaven, they're like, we're gonna be around the throne singing holy, holy, holy. And people are like, really? For eternity? I don't think that's what we're doing for eternity. I think we're gonna have stuff to do and we're gonna like... Okay, why are you imagining into it? Because it's grey, right? Like there's, there's stuff that you don't know yet. And then you hear people, they get visions of heaven and, and, and it's like, it's exciting. Why is it exciting? Because we don't know what it's going to be like. And so when someone says they've had a vision of it, they're like, what was it like? Right, because we don't know. Like there's so much left out that can we all just humble ourselves a little bit and say, Bible's true. God is true. God is good and we're gonna figure it out. Okay, so that's kind of my approach a little bit when it comes to this. And I don't know if this is helpful. 
Uh, but, but sometimes we just get tied into it, tied into a knot when we read the Scripture because we're trying to figure it all out. When I was, when I was about 23 years old, I was, I was getting ready to come to Bible college. Um, I was leading a Bible study in my, um, in my church with, with the young adult guys. We were going through books of the Bible. It was awesome. It was discipleship. It was, it was fellowship. And they'd come to me, we'd chat and like, we literally wrote a rap on the book of Philippians. It was, it was cool. It was fun. It was terrible, uh, but it was fun. Uh, <laughs> no, I will not. Um, I don't know if anyone was thinking it, but I will not. Uh, and so one of the guys comes to me and he's like, Ben, um, my brother-in-law's an atheist and he is peppering me with questions. I don't know how to answer him. So this guy's like 19 years old. His brother-in-law had gone to Bible college and come out an atheist, right? So he's actually really well-educated and hostile to the things of God. Like, has he got any material? Yeah, bring it to me. Let's go through the material because me kind of pot-shotting your questions is less helpful than me literally answering line by line the questions that you have. So he brings to me this essay that's written, first line of the essay, I've written this so that Christians would leave the church. That's first line of the essay. Okay, and so we start going through this thing line by line by line. We're just, we're knocking it out, right? And, and I'm like, listen, here's, here's insulting uh, a, a, a westernized church that I insult, right? So like half of these, I'm literally with this guy. Okay, we, we don't need to be upset with this. Uh, it's like 20 minute offering speeches. Yeah, I get upset with that as well. Like, you know what I mean? Like I'm all for tithing, but, but this is crazy. Um, yeah, it's so like, and we're going through it. And, and, and what I didn't tell him is there was one thing that I had zero answer for. And if, if faith, as the word says, is like a mustard seed that grows into the greatest, uh, the greatest bush in the garden that everything can come and find shelter into it, I promise you, Doubt is like a mustard seed that will grow to the greatest thing in your mind and it will cloud out all of your faith if it leaves unaddressed. So for fear, sometimes we don't answer questions. For pride, sometimes we look in the wrong place for answers. But for whatever reason, in this season of my life, I sat there stunted by my inability to answer this question. And this question grew into many questions. Um, and I'm not, I won't tell you what it is right now, but, and I'll tell you why. I woke up one morning, I looked up at my roof as kind of like an image of heaven. And I said, God, I don't know if you're there. And if you are there, I don't know if you're good. I'm holding onto heaven by a shoestring. If it snaps, I'm not a Christian. If I'm not a Christian, I don't know who I am. And I went about my day. That, 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 it, was, it was full Hail Mary, right? I, like, I, don't, I don't know if you're even listening to this stuff. Like, I was shot. My faith was gone. I walk out of my room and start going about my day. I'm living with my brother. He walks out. He can see it all over me, right? It's like, Ben, what's going on? I'm like, tell him the story. He's like, where's the article? It's on my nightstand. Let's burn it. All right. Hey, fire's always good, right? Light a fire, make you feel better. Um, and, And so we go out the back, we torch that thing. And I cannot tell you what happened, but this weight comes off my shoulders my head is clear for the first time in months. And it, the Lord whispered to my heart, Ben, you don't need to know everything. But if you know me, I do. And that's enough. 
How many of you know if you've met God, that's true? Like that's a good word. Like I, and, and me and Lord, we were not on good terms at that moment, right? He came to me when I came to Him that very morning with an accusation. And He came to me and He rescued me. I had no answer to the question that I was asking, right? I was no smarter the moment that, that I burned that thing than the moment before I burned it. And so I started devouring Scripture, right? And I get to this part, and it was specifically the Gospels because He had whispered to my heart, He said, if you know me, that's enough. And I get to the part in John 17 where He said, this is eternal life, that you would go to heaven. It's not what it says. This is eternal life, that you wouldn't suffer in hell. It's not what it says. It says, this is eternal life, that you would know me in Jesus Christ that I've sent that eternal life starts in the relationship that we have with God. Eternal life is completed in the relationship you have with God. It's the whole picture. See, you can go about, I was going about my day. I started that day full of questions, full of doubt, full of depression, if I'm gonna be honest. And from that moment, I was full of hope, seeking answers in relationship with my Creator. Not because I reached out to Him. I mean, if you call a Hail Mary pastor reaching out, they're like, sure. I, I came to the end of myself, actually. That's what happened. And so what is hell? Sure, it's a place, but it is separation from God. It's what it is. It's why it is. And so like what we find as well is why was it prepared for the devil? It was prepared to extinguish sin. It was prepared as a final place of judgment so that eternity would be dictated without it. Right, that's why hell is. And so when we're looking at the afterlife in Scripture, what we're gonna see is we're gonna start seeing that, that death was the response to sin, sin is literally the opposite of the actions of God. And so from the outset, we've got this, um, we've, we've got this, this path that must be unwoven, that has woven itself like the venom going into the heel of man, that man is now destined for death because sin has entered, right? That's the picture that we've got. In fact, that's the story that you've got the rest of Scripture, that we are destined for death. And that is what, we're, that is, what is going on. So let's ask a quick question. What is greater, mercy or justice? Can you ever really claim mercy without establishing justice? Can <laughs> Can I let my kid off the hook if she doesn't know that she's done anything wrong? Not really. Do we, do we give people early parole if, if we don't know what like, a full sentence would have been? Right? Do you, like, there's no, there is no mercy without justice. Or if there is, it's completely unknowable. Right, like that's craziness. And, and so this is a false dichotomy. 
These things don't need to be an antithesis. They need to be married. They should go hand in hand. That wonderful justice, it's a lifeblood of society, right? Because we're poisoned with sin. We've been struck in the heel. Every single one of us destined for death. And so without justice, our, our society dissolves into anarchy. The very thing we were created for is unsustainable, relationship. I'm unable to sustain my relationship with my wife, with my friends, with my kids without justice. Right? Justice holds us together. But then without mercy, there's no comeback. Why? Because we're all stained, every one of us. We're all destined for death. We all poison each other. If we've been struck on the hill, we run around striking each other on the hill. If the seed of what Adam and Eve did destined all of humanity to hell, look at what we do daily to each other. It's like, man, if Adam and Eve hadn't have done that, do you know how many things we have done that are as powerful as the original sin? That we daily we repoison this world. We go around like the devil who struck Adam and Eve on the heel, striking each other on the heel, poisoning and poisoning and poisoning the world that you and I belong to. And then we look at God and say, We deserve mercy. And we look at the people around them and accuse them of the sins they've committed, saying, How dare you, all the while blinded to what we've done? You see it, right? You feel it. That, that you, that you realise that when you've just chewed out somebody that you love unjustly and you want to enter into a relationship with them again, you are completely at their mercy. I can't force anybody into forgiveness. I might be able to force them to speak forgiveness, but actual forgiveness, the ability to enter back into a relationship I am completely at the mercy of the one that I have betrayed. Until they release me, I am bound by my own, by my own sin. You see that, right? And, and everybody that has sinned against you are completely at your mercy. You can hold them at odds and be out of relationship with them for the rest of your existence. And that is completely just but it's not where God leaves us. He's pulled us back in and He said, forgive those who have sinned against you as I have forgiven you. And this is the path to heaven. Forgiveness, mercy, not at the cost of justice, but hand in hand with justice. But this, this is what Jesus has done. This is literally the thing that He done because when Christ came as the representative of man, Romans describes Him as, as the second who? The second Adam. What's the point? Man, Mark 1, didn't go so good. But man, Mark 2, was created not just in the image of God, but as God, as man, walked as a man, all the temptations. What does the devil come to Him with in the wilderness? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, according to 1 John. What did, Adam, what did Eve see? She saw that it was good to look at, good to eat and able to make one wise. That's what it says in Genesis chapter, 
chapter two. Chapter, chapter three, sorry. And then Satan comes to him in the wilderness. He says, turn, turn this, this stone into bread. Lust of the flesh. You need to eat, Jesus. Sure, it would have been good. It would have been good for eating if you turned it into bread, just like Eve. He says, if, if, if you, he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. He says, bow down and worship me. I'll give them to you. Oh man, lust of the eyes. His eyes light up, seeing every kingdom. His, if you'll bow. No. Throw yourself off this. Throw yourself off this. Bible says he'll give his angels charge over you that not even a stone will dash your foot. No. Power, even over the angels. If you're the son of God, you've got that power, don't you? See, the exact same temptations, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Exact same temptations that Adam and Eve felt in the garden. The exact same temptations that you and I face on a daily basis. Does it look good? Will it make me feel good? Will I, will I be powerful? It's, it's, what we're, it's what we're given every day. And for these reasons, we, we, don't, we, we, we struggle through life. The reason that we have questions about hell is it just doesn't seem right to us. See, hell, hell does not answer the cravings of your heart. Hell, hell answers the issue that we have with this world. It's what it does. All of the problems you and I have is, is why hell exists. But heaven, heaven exists for anyone that will say, yeah, I did it. I ruined this world. That was me. And Jesus comes. So the question is, when we're talking about hell, does context matter? See, I talked in, at the beginning, you've seen the movies where, where uh, you start at the end and you, and you come full circle. And as you're coming up to the end, you're like, it's gonna happen. The end no, I can't believe it. Like this twist ending. And so context really does matter. See, we ask the question, would a loving God really send people to hell? But I think there are better ways of framing this question because this world has hijacked love, right? As though it were just a feeling. Sure, it's a feeling, but I mean, that's pretty one dimensional. Like, like it is way more than a feeling, um, so here is another way we could ask the same question. Would a holy God send people to hell? Oh, yeah. Yeah, actually that fits. That actually fits really well. When I look at holiness throughout Scripture, that works. Would a good God, maybe that's a bit tougher, but yeah. Yeah, a good God demands justice. Would a loving God? If I allow the Bible to dictate my definition of love, because it sets up a pretty high standard of love. Okay? So if you allow the Bible to define love for you, 
all of a sudden the world's definition disintegrates because it's pretty, pretty weak. Um, it's a little bit too subjective for my liking uh, when I see how rich it is when I read the Bible. And so does, is this the way that God would do it? From the outset, the devil was destined to be destroyed. From the outset, the poison of sin that it was injected into humanity was gonna be drawn out. This promise was there from the beginning. How would it all work out? Man, it's still a little bit grey, like I said at the beginning, but there are bits that are not grey. There are bits that are clear here. See, we, we want a hero. The, the promise that was in creation, we want a hero to emerge. And, and so when we read Scripture, Noah rises up, saves the world through the flood. He was not the hero. He failed. Abraham rises up. That, that all the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant we find in Genesis 12, He was not the hero either. Stuck by the same problem of sin. Where does it come next? Now now we find David rising up to become the hero. All these promises, your your seed will be on the throne forever. Struck on the heel, same problem. We're looking for heroes, we can't find one. In this this story that's unravelling before us and it's getting worse and worse and worse, we, we can't see. And so God sends His own Son who even though in the former, he would have, it wasn't gonna be robbery for him to be equal with God, but he took on flesh of man. He descended, he condescended himself to be human. But not just that, he lived a human life born in a manger. But not just that, he allowed the men that he had created to crucify him. Not just any death, a fool's death, a murderer's death. But he didn't stay there. You see, no sin. It was, it was like sin wanted to curse him, but had nothing in him. And so he cursed sin. He rose back from the dead. The Bible says now he has the keys to death and hell. He robbed it. That anyone that trusts in him now has a get out of jail free card. It's wild. It's wild. See, this, this is the part of the story that doesn't make sense. He, the, the Bible says that from Adam to John, uh, there is no greater prophet than John, but from John till now, violent men are taking the kingdom by force. What are we talking about? Church, we can get in. There, there, is, this, there is this unction in Scripture that says, come, come, come if you will. There is this urging, there is this urgency in Scripture that we've got to see it, right? Like hell is real, death is real, heaven is real, there is life and life abundantly if we take it. But if we sit back the way that the American church wants us to sit back, that we actually buddy up to the world try and make ourselves a bit more attractive at the cost of truth. Got nothing wrong with being attractive. 
But the gospel is offensive. Hell is offensive. Singularity of truth is offensive. Be attractive as you can by loving as costly as it it must be. Not at the cost of truth. Truth would have a sacrifice everything and look like a fool. Love will have you sacrificing everything and looking like a fool. It's the way of the Scriptures. It's the way of Christ. It's the way of the church. And I think that what we have right now, if you can let me wrap up here, when we reflect on sin, there is what one hero. It is Jesus. The rest of us are villains. And we're stuck with this story where we just have one hero. But he's a saviour. And he's invited us in. It is not necessarily with great fire that we've been judged. The greatest judgment is that we've been separated. And the invitation stands that you've been invited in. It hasn't gone anywhere. That invitation remains. He has invited you in. And as offensive as it sounds, Francis Chan made the comment, right? He's like, man, I wish there was no hell. That'd be so much easier, right? Then he says, but I never would have imagined the cross either. That's how he says it. I would have never imagined rescuing my enemy. Never would have imagined putting myself on a cross for people that did not love me. But that's who God is. And so when we struggle to believe the Scripture, I get that. Right, I get that. Remember that there is one greater than you, that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, that his thoughts are better than our thoughts. And maybe, just maybe, the hero of the story knows something we don't. So here is my question this morning as we wrap up. Just bow your heads just for a moment in a point of meditation wherever you are. Maybe you've come this morning and the Lord is not your friend. Maybe you've come this morning and you don't know Jesus the way that maybe you desire. Just let Him know that, just under your breath, just right now, wherever you are, just just let Him know, God, I, I don't think I trust You and know You the way that I could. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. Or maybe you've just been renewed at the humility of Scripture. The humility that we find ourselves in, in in the shadow of the Lord. That we abide under the shadow of the Almighty was the song of Moses, right? And that you're placing yourself one more time under the shadow of His wings, saying, God, I don't know all the answers but I do want to know you because that's enough. That I will take eternal life that is knowing you. That the greatest hell I could imagine is separation from your presence. Church, if that can't be your prayer, then I urge you come to the Lord this morning. 
the greatest hell I can imagine is actually being separated from Christ. Would you consider coming out of the wilderness this morning? No longer diluting hell, but taking it for what it is. That we are mankind full of lust, drunk with pride, but God, that's not our destiny, church. It's not our destiny. His Spirit would dwell on the inside of us. His forgiveness reigns for you. That if you found yourself face to face with that flesh that rises up so easily, know that God's with you. That His forgiveness is new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. That you will not deny what you've put on the inside of us. That your forgiveness is fresh today. That maybe you've been pursuing the, the, the accolades of this world. That power to climb the ladder. Maybe you've recently found that you've climbed the ladder only to find that it's resting on the wrong wall. That even today, His mercies are new. That even today, God can accelerate your life. That what the world has stolen, He'll bring back full strength that you can have a life powerful and resonant in God. That is still yours. That is still your inheritance in Christ. Maybe you've wasted so much that you don't know how to come back. God is here. God is here. And He is for you. He is not against you. The judgment is not your destiny. The judgment is not His desire for you. The mercy is His desire for you. And so God, we stand here one more time today humbled in Your presence, needing Your mercy. Here is my prayer, Lord. Let us humble ourselves under the knowledge of Your truth that there are things that maybe we don't understand, we struggle to agree with, but You are still for us. You are still for us, God. Would you let us humbly and mercifully hold on to these stark, pointed realities like hell? I don't fully understand it, God. I don't even pretend to. But I know you, and you do. And that's enough. For all the things I can know, I, I will come hum, humbly before you and say, oh God, there's a lot more that I don't. Let me talk with prudence and humility. Let me humble myself under the cross one more time. Church, if that's you, just raise your hands to the Lord. Just raise your hands to the Lord. You, you've come to Him one more time, just humbly and said, God, fill me again. Fill me again. I sense His pleasure with us this morning, church, that we humble ourselves under the knowledge of His truth, that that's, what, that's the thing that I feel the Lord saying over and over again. I have humbled myself under the knowledge of Your truth this morning, God. So many things we could say in response to that. But that's where I'm at. 
that's where I'm at. If you'll just stand this morning, church, with me. Just stand with me as we close up. Maybe just lift your hands to the Lord. freedom over these minds. Holy Spirit, would you come and breathe brand new life that I don't have the answer to all the questions, but I have access to the one who does. And so be freed in Jesus' Name, wherever you are this morning, from the need to know all. said heaven is for those who have ruined this world or who have repoisoned this world and um, you know one of my biggest challenges at least it seems like in my circles is um, sometimes we have people who've raised in the church that haven't really recognized that they've poisoned this world or repoisoned this world and reading your testimony, listening to your testimony, and hopefully you heard mine, is like, I know that I have a desperate need of Jesus. And His presence is our reward. And we say that a lot. And His presence is our reward. Let me just challenge you to hear what God spoke to us through this, this man this morning. And that's why we're going to sing this song, that He's been so good, is that He took a poisoner like me who's ruined this world like me. I mean, I literally shared a story with my son-in-law, Eric, that just, I, for, I totally forgot about it. Eric just looked me in the eye for a second. It was pretty appalling, wasn't it, when you actually heard me share that story. Um, I was a poisoner. Uh, I have re-poisoned through my, in my years before Christ. I have desperate need of him. So when we sing, he's good, I'm singing, I literally blew my voice out today singing because he is good. Because I get to be in his presence. A repoisoner, a ruiner of this world. Hey, let's sing this song together. I'm sure the kids downstairs are going nuts, but let's, uh, let's worship Jesus one last moment. We want to thank you for listening. We pray that you were blessed and encouraged. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to this podcast and listen whenever you like. 
To find out more about Mosaic Church, please visit www.mosaicchurchtlh.com.